Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. My guest today is Christopher Barnes of Grape Collective, which is in New York. Great name. Thank you, Monty. How did you get the name? How did you go about getting the name? I looked up all kinds of combinations of URLs that were available and it seemed to kind of talk to what we were doing which is getting a collective of writers who would be telling narrative stories around wine around the grape so great so, collective it kind of makes sense okay where did you found great collective we founded grape collective four years ago and what did you do before then i was involved in a bunch of what i would call screwball media projects so we elaborate i started a free daily newspaper in new york city called am new york which uh, eventually we sold to the tribune company so free so it was what just funded by advertising within the within the newspaper exactly so we produced about four hundred thousand copies a day and people would get their daily news and not have to pay for it i mean that must have been a bit stressful uh it was actually exhilarating it was a, it was tremendous fun and you're shaking things up you're going against the the big guys and trying to do something new and different and working with people who are very passionate so it was it was it was a great time but did you still anybody's market share was anybody getting really bit sort of annoyed and grumpy with you and say hey this guy we don't like this little smart guy coming along and, and breaking up our kind of monopoly if you like was of course that a bit tough? yeah so we, how do you handle that kind of pressure well you take it as a compliment that you know i don't really think of it as pressure you know i mean it's it's going to work it's doing business but if you're not shaking things up if you're not competing then if you're in that business you're probably doing something wrong so so where does the journalism gene come from in your body well my dad was a foreign correspondent so i he was with newsweek for many many years and he worked for the the times in london and he worked for u.s news and world report other places too i think the la times did you ever think about another career apart from obviously your first big big business was this uh, journalism newspaper did you ever think of doing something else before then or was it always your kind of destiny to get into that field no, I was in the movie business for a few years. Uh-huh. I did a film and English degree at the University of East Anglia in, in Norwich in the UK. And I moved to Hollywood and worked uh, behind the scenes on some movies. So, so when you say behind the scenes, were you making the tea or were you actually doing stuff? I was the assistant location manager on Sketch Artist 2 with uh, Jeff Fahey and Courtney Cox, which if you've never seen it is a, is a cracker. And even better than that was uh, Pumpkinhead 2, which uh, included uh, the former president's brother, Roger Clinton, as the mayor. And he played a song, which was quite terrific. So I was involved in that. I got a, a distribution credit on that one. But uh, some people say that it's better than Pumpkinhead 1. It's disputable. Yeah, I think the, 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 the film critics will be arguing about that one for many years to come. Many years. So so you sold your newspaper and you found a Grape Collective. Yeah, Grape Collective. I was interested in doing a media project that was digital, that didn't rely on... On subscriptions or advertising and I thought wine was very interesting because you had a media landscape that was sort of dominated by very traditional companies that had paywalls in terms of their their online presence and I didn't feel we're catering to a younger audience so they do a great job of focusing on kind of collectors and older wine aficionados but they weren't focused on the sort of the younger consumer who's developing an interest in wine and I thought there was a 
real opportunity to create something for that audience. And at the same time, there's also a problem with wine journalism in the sense that if you read the New York Times wine column and you want to buy the wines that they write about, it's often impossible. They're out of vintage or you can't get them or for whatever reason. So I thought it would be interesting to create a, a narrative-focused online wine magazine with really great writers and then make the connection so people can then try the wines. So we're not finding a wine we want to we want to sell and then getting somebody to write about it, but we're finding great writers who are excited about stories and then we're bringing the wines in and making that connection. So you can you can read about something or watch a short video and then try the wines. Okay, so when you talk about a narrative, is it just the classic, oh, you know, granddad founded the vineyard and then his son took over and now his third generation is doing it and he's gone organic or whatever? Is it that kind of thing you talk about as a narrative? Was it a little bit more than that? Well, I think there are a lot of great stories in the wine world. And, you know, one of the problems is, is when you walk into a wine shop, there is, you know, 700 bottles on a wall that have names that most people can't pronounce. And most of them have really compelling stories about them, but you just don't know what they are and you don't know how to choose and you don't know what you like. So there are these wonderful journalists who are out there who are constantly encountering interesting people and interesting subjects. And instead of kind of going through through the approach of giving it a numerical score, which I think is, is a, a little bit dated in some respects, telling the story of these wines and telling the, the story of the passion of the winemakers and the area and the families and the traditions. And, and some of it goes to the level of cliche that you talked about. But in many cases, you get really fascinating people that, that are doing fascinating things. And we had Eric Texier in, who's a, a French natural winemaker and recently telling his story. And, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. And I think he took a lot of personal risks to make wine in a specific style that was that doesn't have the coolness that it does now. And that that's interesting. And, and I think the wines are very interesting, too. So you, on your website, greatcollective.com, as well as reading, being able to read articles, you do like movies as well and, and film stuff. Does that, that dates obviously from your days in film. But how do you do that? Do you hire a camera crew with like six or seven people, sound engineers? Or what, how do you how do you make these films? It's uh, it's guerrilla filmmaking. Guerrilla so, filmmaking. Guerrilla filmmaking. So we have uh, a couple of people that do video that we work with. Uh, I do some of the video as well. And we shoot very quickly on a very tight schedule. But I mean, the beautiful thing is that you have digital cameras right now that produce quality that, you know, you would have uh, a 15 man team, you know, 15 years ago doing that thing. And it's just, it, it's it's wonderful, wonderful video. And, and the thing that we're very excited about now is 360 video. So you can take uh, a video of, of a winemaker in his location, in his barrel room, in his vineyards, walking around and cut, you know, a 60 second shot of that splice it together put an audio of him talking about it and then put the goggles on and you're literally there you know no one can replicate the experience of walking through a vineyard with a winemaker on a beautiful day in Tuscany but how do you get close to that and I think the 360 stuff is really interesting right now and you know you can you put the goggles on you experience the 360 you can feel soil samples you can taste the wine and it brings you much closer to the wine and 
the winery than if you just walk into a shop and pick a bottle off a wall for sure. Yeah, I'd just say that Christopher and I, we did do some filming together, but it was last year in Tuscany. And you had a drone, if I remember. I think it hit a very large cypress tree, never to return to America again. Um, when you talk about experiential, you have a wine shop in Manhattan, right? Yes, it, we kind of call it a, a wine studio. A wine studio. Okay, yeah. so talk about, just give me a bit more about this soil. Because when, when you came walking around Brunello, for example, you kept on stopping and picking up bits of dirt and putting them in a jar. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? Why do you do that? Well, I think it's trying to get back to this idea that the wines come from a place. And when somebody's in our wine studio, they're able to look at a photography display around a specific wine. They're able to pick up soil from the wine. They're able to, to take a, an interview or an article about the wine and read about it. So we're trying to build a relationship with the person, with the place, with the story, which is, you know, transcends the, the, the normal experience of, of purchasing in a wine store. We feel it's, it creates an excitement and enjoyment. It, it brings wine to life in people's lives and you know with all the negativity in the world if, we, if you can create a little bit of joy I think that's a good thing yeah it's a great idea because you know, traditionally um, wine merchants just if you're lucky they may let you taste the wine but that's not always a given and the idea of you actually being able to, to hold a piece of Tuscan in your hand when you're in the middle of a built up city like New York pretty interesting I mean do people do they actually pick up the jar or do they actually want to touch the sword do they not say it's dirty or they can go and wash their hands or are they, or are they actually just kind of pretty relaxed about it because we kind of think you know some people might be a little bit that's a bit icky. We have we have some pretty interesting soils. We you know uh, Kimmeridgian limestone from uh, Sancerre and Chablis and uh, Rui that that have the the fossils sticking out of them. And there's something kind of exciting about picking that up and and understanding that the bottle that you're about to drink comes from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people love it. So tell us about the American wine market at the moment, with particular reference to Italy. That sounds a bit like an exam question, but um, in terms of you know what what is what are the hot wines among the New York Somme's from Italy? Uh, what's hot in California in terms of in terms of Italian wine? What's going on? I mean, I think certainly Etna is uh, an area that people are focusing on a lot. Volcanic wines are something that's become an area of interest. Barolo is the classic. Brunello is probably kind of second behind Barolo in terms of the classics. And then you have, I think, a lot of people who are super interested in native grapes and exploring and, you know, like uh, Pegato from Liguria, which has this sort of very interesting Vermentino-like quality, but it has a bit more salinity to it maybe. And, you know, understanding the native grapes and where they're from and I think there's definitely a lot more curiosity in wine and in consumers especially younger consumers and and if you're able to sell wines in the sort of you know call it 15 to 25 dollar range that that are expressive of of native grapes and of different regions people really embrace that so if that's price point is that an, is that seen as an everyday wine or is it a step up step above an everyday wine just for people that don't live um in America, I would say fifteen to twenty or ten to twenty dollars is an everyday wine. When you go sort of twenty to twenty-five, that's a wine that you might have on the weekend or something like that. But it, it, it's a wine that is in most people's price range. When you start talking about Barolo or Brunello, for most people, it becomes a special occasion wine. But you know, if you're able to get a, a Pagato for eighteen, nineteen dollars or something like that, then you know most people will take a chance on it for sure. 
Okay, final question. If you had to leave New York and had to come and live in Italy, which region would you choose and why? Boy, that's a tough one. Finally got him. Yeah, I, I would have to uh, I would have to say probably Tuscany just because I've been there the most. But I'm very excited to be traveling to uh, the Marche region this summer because one of my very close friends, his family is from there. And, uh, it's a beautiful area. It's unsports. It's not really on a main motorway track, so it's uh, got Italy's best white wine great Vidicchio fantastic seafood lovely beaches it's got I, everything. I, I work for the Vidicchio tourist board basically I have a 15 year contract no I'm joking it's great wine it's, it's great that you say that I mean most people would say they're either going to say Piemonte or like kind of Brunello Tuscany that kind of thing you know lifestyle or they're going to say Sicily for the volcanic stuff it's great that you say Marco fantastic I'm a Marco fan good guy that's the reason I like you just, just added another reason Christopher Barnes from Great Collective in New York thanks very much for coming in uh, we were at school together known you for a long time you're a great guy and you're a super 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 talented and professional journalist amazing great thank to you have Monty you. great to have you in thanks thank you Monty follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram 